When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson, as we cruise through another week of very, very interesting programs. And tonight will be no exception as we bring Wallace Thornhill in. Wallace will be talking about the universe and the fact that everything we think we know about the universe might actually be wrong. He is one of the founders of the Electric Universe Theory, and he'll present this easy-to-understand alternative view, and we'll chat about it. We'll also take your phone calls later in the show at 844-687-7669. Before we go to break and then bring the guest in, I do want to remind you that Scaricon is 9 days away. We talk about this event twice a year. In June, the event was held in Framingham, Massachusetts, near Boston. And in October, it will be held this month, the 18th through the 20th. It'll be held in Rochester, New York, at the Rochester Riverside Hotel. It's it's a, a tremendous amount of fun. A lot of celebrities, some very, very informative panel discussions, lectures, Q&A sessions, and presentations. Uh, over 50 film premieres as part of the Scaricon Film Festival. This is all included in your price of admission, in addition to the parties and the very, very unique and uh, interesting vendors. So it's going to be a great weekend. Hotel rooms are still discounted. There are some rooms left. But all the information can be found at Scaricon.com. Very, very easy to find. Scaricon.com. Check that out before you go to bed tonight. How's that? Also, uh, like us on Facebook. It's Beyond Reality Radio, and my page is J.V. Johnson. Give both of those pages a like. And go to YouTube and search for J.V. Johnson. Subscribe. We just passed a nice milestone in subscribers on our YouTube channel. Let's keep it going. Go to YouTube, search for J.V. Johnson, like it. There's about 400 back episodes of Beyond Reality Radio there. And if you have trouble picking up the station on a, or the show on a station near you, radio station near you, there's a live stream of the program, which also features our chat room. A lot of great stuff there. YouTube, search for J.V. Johnson. We'll go to break. When we come back, we'll bring our guest for the evening in, Wall Thornhill. will be our guest. We're talking electric universe theory on Beyond Reality Radio. Look out, Rochester. Scaricon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. Scaricon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family-friendly. For more information, visit Scaricon.com and check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's Scaricon.com. October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Tonight we're going to talk about everything we've learned in the universe. Is it right? Is it wrong? There's a theory called the electric universe theory. And our guest tonight, Wallace Thornhill, is one of the founders of that theory. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Wall, thank you uh, for joining us. Welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here tonight. 
Thanks, JV. Thanks for the invitation. We have uh, a lot of learning to do, I suppose, because uh, this is new information to me. First of all, let's start with some definitions. What exactly are we talking about when we talk about the electric universe theory? Well, we're actually having to unlearn a lot of things. Uh, The electric universe is a cosmology that is based on uh, peer-reviewed science, but it goes beyond the peer-reviewed science into uh, trying to understand what the universe has really been trying to tell us for the last hundred years, and we have not had the sense to uh, figure it out. What do we think we know about the universe? Because I, uh, from my understanding, you know, we we talk about this a lot, and some yeah. people claim to think they know what is going on, but it all seems to be pretty well uh, unsettled in, in my estimation. Uh, wh- where does science stand on this right now? Well, right now in fundamental particle physics, which is one of the main uh, pillars of modern cosmology, we have to understand the matter that makes up the universe. Uh, There's a a lot of scholars now pointing out that uh, there's a crisis. And uh, that crisis was actually predicted by a Nobel Prize winner in uh, some of the founding science of the electric universe uh, back in 1970. And he uh, not only did he uh, say that there was a crisis coming, he did it as part of his Nobel Prize acceptance speech and explained why, but nobody wanted to know. And this is typical, of course, human reaction. Scientists who uh, declare themselves experts in a subject uh, are quick to tell you what's impossible, whereas real scientists will uh, say, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It seems that you know, we've had we've had actually several conversations in the last few weeks about the fact that science, which is supposed to be a quest for answers, seems fairly well entrenched, at least mainstream science, seems fairly well entrenched yes. in its ideas, right, wrong or indifferent. That's right. Yeah, it's become a kind of uh, titanic and they're very difficult to turn around. And what they don't realize is that there's an iceberg straight ahead. But um The work that I've been doing is a lifelong quest to piece together what I call the big picture, because one of the problems that science faces today is specialism, and that is that uh, people know more and more about less and less. So when it comes to trying to piece together the biggest picture there is, and that is our place in the universe, uh, they are not qualified to do the job. When you say there's an iceberg, and you can use the metaphor uh, with the Titanic uh, ahead of yes. us, what are we talking about? Is it an iceberg of information, or is there some no. catastrophe on the on in the horizon? No, the, iceberg, the iceberg is uh, a catastrophe in theory, uh, the theory that uh, we currently call the Big Bang, which uh, is our crazy cosmology that we have at present. Um, And that uh, iceberg happens to be an experiment which has been conducted by the group that I'm uh, one of the founders of. Uh, And uh, it would cost $6 million. It was privately or was funded through the International Science uh, Foundation, which was uh, set up to fund experiments which were not being uh, given proper attention by mainstream science. And an independent engineering company has uh, devised and built the experiment and then uh, run it. 
with a number of uh, independent scientists uh, involved, and it was announced in July at a conference in England that uh, the model that we have of how stars really work, which is an electrical model, was uh, actually confirmed by that experiment. And that, if science worked as it was, as everyone advertises, should have been front page news around the world. You know, we've worked out how the sun works at last, and yet we've had these scientists spending countless billions of dollars for the last 60 years trying to produce power like the sun, but the, <laughs> their model of the sun is completely haywire. We're going to talk about a lot of these individual ideas as our conversation continues. But mm-hmm. at what point, and, and maybe it's always been like this, but at what point did science become more like religion than religion? Uh, it happened at the uh, about almost 100 years ago now. Uh, we stopped doing real physics, that is, you know, the fundamental uh, science of uh, cosmology, uh, with the advent of Einstein and Niels Bohr. Uh, Niels Bohr with his quantum theory, which is all about statistics, and has actually discarded the cause and effect principle of uh, physics, which says that every effect must have a preceding cause, and instead everything became statistics. With Einstein, he removed the rest of the universe from his consideration, and as a result, the force of gravity disappeared. The ether disappeared, which uh, Clark Maxwell, the founder of electromagnetic theory, uh, required for his um, theory. Uh, He discarded, by discarding the rest of the universe, we could no longer define energy or mass, which means that energy, that famous equation that everyone knows but nobody understands, (laughs) E E equals mc squared, has no physical meaning uh, because energy and mass are undefined. It sounds as though uh, that was what many thought was a major step forward, but in many ways was was kind of a step backward. No, it was actually a a, a sharp turn off the track because it turns out when you read the real history of science, which is not the one that's taught to students, the uh, some of the major European scientists, French and German, uh, in the 1870s had very, come very close to the electrical model of how atoms work. In fact, they actually predicted the orbital structure of atoms 40 years before it was actually discovered. So we were well on the track, but then it seems almost as if Uh, We have these recurrent episodes in uh, history where mankind seems to go insane. And, uh, of course, we had two world wars within a few decades of each other. At the end of the First World War, where the carnage was absolutely uh, beyond all reason and sanity, it seems that uh, people were looking for an escape from reality and the scientists led the way. Uh, They headed off into um, mystical mathematics And people have forgotten that mathematics is not science. It can only be science when the physics is done. That is, you've specified the model completely, you've defined all of your terms like mass and energy and what they mean physically. Only then, when you start writing the symbols on the blackboard, can you actually deduce anything sensible out of it. We have been uh, taught 
the opposite in, in many cases. And yeah. uh, we've yeah. also been le- led to believe that if a uh, scientist says something, then it has to be fact. And uh, what we're learning in many of these cases is that uh, there aren't facts here. There are ideas, and many of those ideas um, remain to be proven or, or demonstrated. In, and uh, in many cases, it's they, the, the same scientists fail to do that. And it sounds like um, That's right. we're, we're a victim of this again here. That's right. And uh, science tends to be done by press release these days. And you read the press releases and you see that certain things are stated as fact which are, in fact, only models that they've dreamt up. Like, uh, they talk about the Big Bang as if it really happened. Uh, no, it was an idea dreamt up by a Belgian priest uh, and is just a rehash of the Genesis story. In the beginning, there was nothing which exploded, you know, um, which is nonsense. It's got nothing to do with physics. Uh, if you're going to talk about the creation of the universe, you have to know how matter is created, and we have no idea because we don't even know how matter is uh, structured at the very finest level. So all of this is uh, a story, and uh, one of the features of mankind is that we like certainty. We like to have stories which make us feel safe. And our whole story of the history of the Earth and humanity and uh, the history of the universe is a story, this kind of bedtime story to lull us to sleep. The, the real history, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. The real, no, history, the real history of the solar system that my colleagues and I have uncovered would out science fiction any science fiction movie, and yet it is fact. Uh, when we get back from our break here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk mo- much more about the Big Bang theory and the problems with that particular view. Uh, but mm. how did you? How did all of this become something that uh, you were interested in enough? that you've made it uh, your life's work? Well, I was—I uh, had a fortunate um, history, I think, in my upbringing. We had, I mean, my father was a, a, a war pensioner in Australia, uh, and we were living in an outer Melbourne suburb. And uh, after the war, they decided to build new high schools. And it just happened that I finished primary school and entered the high school uh, in the first year it w- was available. After that, every succeeding year, the, I was in the top form. There was n- there were no forms ahead of us, which meant that I had remarkable access to the teachers, uh, the sort of thing it would be almost impossible to get these days. And also the teachers, uh, after the war, there was a kind of... Um, after these outbreaks of madness, there's a kind of euphoria following uh, resolution. It is a catharsis, really. And uh, there was optimism, and people pulled together. We knew all the people in our street, uh, and the uh, teachers at the high school recognised my interests and gave me books to read. They gave me the run of the the chemistry um, lab, things like this, which today they'd be thrown in jail for. So it was exceptional in that regard. But the real trigger for my future endeavours came with reading Velikovsky's Worlds in Collision just a couple of years after it was published in 1950. And when I read that, that really opened my eyes to how you could piece together the history 
of uh, mankind by looking all around the world for their stories because they all tell creation stories with the same characters in and those characters are the same they're either male uh, or female they have certain features like um, they're a beautiful princess or they are a warrior hero and they always paint the warrior hero as male and red in color Uh, in fact they worshipped what we now call the planetary gods. But they gave them uh, characteristics which um, we just, it doesn't feature at all in any of our modern uh, cosmology, and that is when they uh, were came close to one another, which they observed and they recorded, they fought with uh, thunderbolts, and they actually drew the thunderbolts. And... Uh, Those thunderbolts look nothing like earthly lightning because the energy in them is just phenomenal. Uh, The the, um, lightning on Earth is more like the spark from, you know, a comb in in dry atmosphere. Uh, (laughs) The cosmic thunderbolts took on very particular shapes which were only discovered uh, early this century by the highest energy electrical discharges known to man at the Los Alamos... uh, national laboratories and the expert in these uh, forms actually came to one of our meetings in 2000 and it was a historic moment because there we pieced together the story that these uh, classical scholars had uh, pieced together following Velikovsky's lead matched with the high energy discharges witnessed in uh, the laboratory. Uh, It happened after a conference in Portland, Oregon, uh, one of our Uh, early conferences and uh, we managed to invite two people who will be in the history books in future I'm sure one of them was Anthony Peratt of the Los Alamos National Laboratories and he's a leading uh, plasma physicist involved in uh, looking at the highest energy electrical phenomena that they create at the uh, Z-Pinch facility at Los Alamos and the other one was uh, Dr. Helton Arp, who's an astronomer who actually uh, showed through his copious observations, in fact, he produced an atlas of peculiar galaxies, so he was a real observational astronomer. Uh, he proved that the Big Bang never happened simply ob- observationally by noting uh, that redshift is not a measure of the velocity of uh, galaxies and things away from us. A lot of that redshift is actually intrinsic to the matter in the galaxy. And this is something which the electric universe uh, took on board as we have to explain these things from these reputable scientists in order to be fairly certain that what we were proposing uh, was correct. Now, Helton Up, he was treated uh, abominably by the establishment. They took his telescope time off him and yet he was one of the leading uh, young astronomers at the time, when he uh, would uh, said he wouldn't uh, stop pursuing his research. <laughs> in other words, they didn't want to know that the Big Bang was in question. Uh, in the case of uh, Anthony Pratt, he uh, worked with Hans Alfane, the Nobel Prize-winning plasma scientist, who predicted the crisis in astrophysics, uh, as I said, back in 1970, Uh, And the two of them were actually some of the forerunners of the electric universe because they showed that you could describe 
galaxies and their spiraling and the way they rotate not according to gravity simply by electromagnetic theory and they actually demonstrated that both by experiment and observation and this is one of the difficulties that we face uh, it seems that we educate uh, our scientists and students in general in such a way that they're actually trained not to see discordant information something that doesn't fit with what they've been taught and this is why we see all of these references in news items about scientific discoveries things are stated as fact that are not fact they're merely uh hypotheses or you know suppositions let's talk about the big bang theory for just a moment um, mm-hmm. You mentioned the origin. Uh, tell us again where it came from and what that theory is. I mean, most of us understand that the idea is that there was this particle that exploded and created everything. But I'm sure there's a little bit more to that. So um, give us the origins of this particular view. Well, with uh, Edwin Hubble's research, he found that there was a redshift versus distance relationship. And that's all it was, a relationship. He could show that um, the fainter an object, in other words, uh, you know, it was assumed that it was further away if it was faint, uh, the more highly redshifted it was. And uh, people jumped onto this and said, ah, we can use redshift to determine uh, how far away these things are. In fact, Edwin Hubble, right up until his dying day, felt that that was the least likely explanation and that it was far more likely that there would be some new physics to be discovered. And he was right. Everyone else has been wrong, but they've, uh, of course, now we've got the Hubble telescope named after him on the basis that he was one of the key uh, uh, proponents of the Big Bang Theory. He wasn't. Anyway, history gets rewritten by the the winners, as they say. Um, The uh, other thing is that Einstein... Uh, came across his work and thought it was rather nice because uh, he could fit that with his gravitational theory, uh, which, by the way, did away with the force of gravity. Try telling that to anyone who's fallen <laughs> at any, of any great height. You know, it, it, <laughs> don't worry, it's just a theory. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, um, it's quite a uh, sociological phenomenon, the way science... Uh, has behaved since the beginning of the uh, 20th century and we've been marking time ever since. Uh, The other aspect of the um, Big Bang Theory is that it has nothing to do with physics because it talks about creation of matter and one of the founding principles of physics is that you cannot create or destroy matter because it's just a miracle. Nobody knows how you would do it and what it even means. So when they talk about the Big Bang starting from some phenomenal uh, singularity, they call it, a singularity means that it has no physical representation. In other words, it's not physics. Um, but instead of that, we have people now talking about what's happened in the first you know, femtosecond or whatever of after the Big Bang, which is sheer nonsense. The other thing is that uh, without defining energy, you cannot say that energy actually can exist without matter. And in fact, the only way we um, experience energy in the universe is by the motion of matter. 
you know, something that's barreling down on you at 100 miles an hour has got a certain amount of energy, quite a lot more than if it was uh, motionless. Uh, so simple things like that are just ignored. Uh, it's, it's quite a weird sociological phenomenon. But those people who uh, follow our work, and there's been a heck of a lot of material posted on the Thunderbolts website, at last count there was over 720 videos, some of them feature length, describing all of this uh, research. Um, so th the other thing that came after that, of course, was the discovery of a, a microwave noise uh, by just by accident. And this was picked up and they said, oh, well, if... Uh, all of this high-energy, high-frequency uh, radiation was generated right at the moment of the Big Bang, then we should see the remnants of it today. But it would be shifted down in frequency and you would see it as radio signals. And so they invented the cosmic microwave background radiation. But there's no evidence that it is background. In fact, uh, it doesn't. there's no shadowing by foreground galaxies of this signal. So the question is, is it foreground? And the answer from the um, the peer-reviewed plasma scientists is that, yes, it's uh, foreground radio noise from the electric currents that are flowing through the uh, galaxy and through space. In other words, the power system, the power lines, if you like, it's their hum uh, that drives our galaxy and uh, the Andromeda galaxy and all the other phenomena we see out there. Why is it so important for the scientific community to consider something like the Big Bang Theory and as opposed to what we're talking about here tonight that you've been working on? Or, um, mm. you know, there's, there's several uh, of these major hot points that science is just so determined to be entrenched on. But what is the yes. end game that makes them so entrenched? Is it just they don't want to be wrong? I think that's part of it. Once you've been, you've worked, you know, for a decade or more studying and so on to get to the uh, point where you can uh, put your shingle out and say that you're an expert in this particular subject, uh, it's very hard. It's uh, kind of an existential threat to have somebody come along and say, nope, uh, forget all that and sweep all of your information off the uh, shelves of the library uh, because it's wrong. Uh, it's a revolution, and uh, people, of course, uh, prefer uh, the quiet life and <laughs> and don't want revolutions. But this is how science, unfortunately, tends to work, uh, that um, you have these periods of stasis for sometimes, in the case of um, the Ptolemaic theory, for 1,500 years. Uh, I'm just hoping that it's only going to take a fraction of that before uh, people wake up. But... Um, there is this resistance, and one of the first signs of resistance is hostility. Uh, and I encountered that when I went to university. I had this alternative idea that, uh, you know, our history of this human race and the earth and so on was completely false. It was just a bedtime story. And so I was always keen to ask lecturers and so on questions about things that they were teaching us. And I found that either they wouldn't or they couldn't answer, and so they would answer some other question they could, or they would be hostile, turn on their heel and just walk away. And I thought, well, this is, this is, uh, doesn't conform with my view of what universities are supposed to be about, which is open discussion 
and a dialogue, not just a case of you tell me what's right and I've got to put up with it. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, I actually managed to um, put up with this sort of abuse, uh, got through and started a research year, and then I realised that there's no future at all for heretics in science. They just crucify you. So... Um, I got out and joined IBM and went into the computing industry where at least I could do logical work without having to face up to illogic. <laughs> and uh, that was a good move, actually, as it turns out, because it's been critical to understand uh, the mechanics of how to um, uh, use computers in, in this work, too. You used a couple of more references to religion, which, again, uh, I think is very appropriate uh, because it does yes. seem like if if you know today's scientific community is more like a religion in some cases. Um, oh yes, it's not just me saying that either. There's a, a number of scholars who've looked at it and said this is scientism, right. which is a, a, a sort of rigid uh, religious form of um, science. And it's not surprising really because science never really left religion behind. It sort of kept it on with its uh, creation story, the Big Bang. Uh, which has no, you know, it's just nothing to do with science. So if not the Big Bang, then what? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> then that's where it gets interesting, and it also makes a far more sense. The point is we do not have to answer that question if, we are, if we've got things so wrong, because it's not just at the macro scale of the uh, cosmos, it's also at the minor scale of uh, particles, you know, particle behaviour. And uh, that's wrong too, it turns out. Uh, so um, you've really got to put the whole thing, start from scratch almost, and this is a very difficult thing to do given the, uh, the juggernaut of uh, institutionalised science and government funding has a lot to do with this rigidity too because people are forced into proposing experiments and so on which tick certain boxes like, you know, this space shot will tell us how the Earth was formed and you, you hear that time and again, but they're not even asking the right questions to answer that, uh, uh, that problem. You have to pay attention to the whole of human recorded history to begin to understand that the history of the Earth is far more dynamic and interesting than anyone has ever even <laughs> considered. And it, it also shows that uh, you cannot just adhere to the theoretical, the mathematical theoretical approach because uh, physics is first and foremost a, a case of observing, getting all the information you can from anywhere. It doesn't matter, you know, you know cross-disciplinary. You have to be broad-minded like the classical scholars of old and uh, accept information from everywhere to try and piece together the biggest story there is. That's just not being done. We're going to go to break here in just a moment. Our guest tonight, Wallace Thornhill, we're talking about The Electric Universe. His book is also called The Electric Universe, and he's got another book called Thunderbolts of the Gods. Uh, Wall, are they both available now? Yes, they are through the Thunderbolts.info website. There's a, a link to um, the resources. And uh, also for those who want to see our videos, the YouTube channel there has got a huge number of uh, different subjects and they can find people can find the YouTube channel through the website. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Let's get an understanding. And I know this is probably an impossible question to answer, particularly in a couple minutes. But we'll pick it up on the other side as well. Um, yep. What is gravity? What What are we talking about when we say and refer to gravity? That's a very good question. 
and it's one that took me until just a few years ago to figure out uh, the full ramifications of you know, what that meant. Um, in fact, that little uh, clip you ran a minute ago about electricity and like charges repelling and uh, un unlike charges attracting is one of the features of the electric force. In other words, it can be attractive and repulsive depending on the setup. The same with magnetism, you know, that you can hold the, the two similar poles to try and push them together and they repel one another, turn them one magnet around and they pull each other towards themselves. And um, in the case of gravity, it's the only force in physics which is unbalanced. In other words, it's always attractive, according to the experts. But as somebody, as one philosopher pointed out, only an idiot would design a universe where the force that operates is attractive only. If you want balance in the universe, which is something that I must say Dr. Helton Arp discovered in his research, uh, he said it appears that uh, celestial objects must repel one another to maintain stability. And so that was one of the big puzzles for me to uh, solve. And the answer is, and this is one of the reasons for calling my work the electric universe, is that there is only one force in the universe, and that is the electric force. Both magnetism and gravity are the response of matter, that is the atoms in uh, that make up you and me and the earth and stars and so on, respond to the electric force by either generating uh, a magnetic field if they're free to move or if they're not free to move and they're ensconced in the middle of a planet, they will uh, create gravity. But that means that gravity too is a dipole force which changes everything we think we know about theories of the inside of planets and stars because it means that they resist being compressed into a ball and to... Um, generate a hot inner core, all of that goes out the window. Uh, the force of gravity is very much, in fact, you can say it's a form of magnetism because magnetism is one where neutral matter, like a bar magnet, there's no electric charge involved, but it attracts and repels. Gravity does the same thing, but at a much weaker level. And it all of these things are easily explained when you begin to uh, put together a sensible uh, model of uh, matter itself, you know, electrons and protons, the, the charged particles. Tomorrow night we've got uh, what we're calling Psychic Thursday. I think um, Slick Eddie and Orion are calling it Psychic Thursday, but we'll go with it. Sheena Metal will be our guest tomorrow night, Psychic and Paranormal Survivor. And she will discuss her work blending the psychic and paranormal worlds. She'll also be doing readings for listeners during the second hour of the program. Friday, of course, is a best of, best of issue or program here on the show. And then Monday night, Dr. Heather Lynn will join us. She's an author, a historian, and a renegade archaeologist. And she'll discuss sinister artifacts, ancient aliens, and other mysterious um, issues that are too threatening or considered to be too threatening to be mainstream. A lot of great programs coming up here on Beyond Reality Radio. If you're listening as a download, please rate the program for us, share it with your friends. And if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, please subscribe as well. And if you're listening on one of the great radio stations carrying the program around the country, thank them. Go to their website, click the contact tab, and send them uh, a thank you for carrying the program because we certainly appreciate it. As I said, our guest tonight, Wallace Thornhill, we're talking about the Electric Universe. Before we went to break, 
you made a very, very important statement, and it kind of ties much of what we've been talking about together. You said there's really, you know, we talked about gravity, we've talked about magnetism, but you said, well, there's only one real force, and these other forces are variations of that force, and you're talking about electric force. Yeah, that's right. So let's 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 go into that a little bit deeper. Explain how that mm-hmm. can be possible. Well, if you give uh, a subatomic particle structure, in other words, you say that the electron and the proton that make up every atom is itself made up like little atoms with uh, orbiting uh, subparticles within them. Uh, If you apply an electric force to such a structure, uh, and and chemists know this, uh, physicists seem to have forgotten it, uh, the structure will deform to form a tiny dipole, an electric dipole. Now, electric dipoles are everywhere in nature because the positive charge and the negative charge can never coincide in location. Uh, otherwise, you know, <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. Um, and in fact, it was proven way back in the 1870s that it just doesn't work. Now, when you have an electric uh, a proton or a positive charge separated from an electric charge by a distance, any distance, then you have formed what's called an electric dipole. And that produces a field which can be daisy-chained through other nearby matter. And this is the, uh, the way gravity in a planet works. Because when you think about it, uh, every atom in the in the Earth has a nucleus. And the nucleus is about 2,000 times heavier than all of the electrons that are flying around it. So gravity, which doesn't care whether you're positive or negative or what you're made of, it it works through you and beyond you, uh, it will cause all of the heavy nuclei to move from the centre of the atom towards the centre of the Earth. And in doing so, uh, the atom becomes uh, slightly football-shaped with the nucleus offset towards the centre of the Earth. And that means that every atom in the Earth is a tiny electric dipole. And the important thing in gravity is that it's what happens to the nucleus that is important because that's where all of the mass resides. And uh, because you're subjecting these tiny particles inside the uh, nucleus, the protons, for instance, to an electric force, they too will deform. And this explains one of the big puzzles of gravity. Why is it such a weak force? You know, the entire six sextillion tons of the Earth can't stop you from leaping into the air away from it. Uh, If you were subject to chemical forces, you'd be only a few atoms thick on the surface. (laughs) You'd be flattened. Um, It's because it's due to the tiny, tiny distortion of the particles in the nucleus of each atom. And so uh, we, uh, living on the surface of the Earth, of course, respond just like iron filings to a magnet. We're drawn to whichever pole is nearest. It doesn't matter whether it's a north or a south pole. In the case of the Earth, uh, we're drawn to the uh, pole that's facing outwards. And This means that any other body in the uh, solar system like Mars or Venus or even the Sun will have the same pole facing us. Now this means that you've got in effect what looks like a whole lot of magnets, uh, just monopole magnets. And what will they do? They'll repel one another. 
And this is something that uh, Dr. Halton Arp came across and it made him look back in history to see if anyone had considered the possibility that um, gravity is a repulsive force. And he found that even Newton uh, considered it. There was a colleague of his, a rather strange fellow, who um, uh, came in and out of his life at various points, who suggested that uh, maybe the rest of the universe is pushing inwards and it's the fact that the sun is repelling us that keeps us in the orbit at the distance we are from the sun. And in fact, this works. But nobody could figure out how this could be so. Uh, they talked about strange particles whizzing in all directions in space and uh, we intercept them and where we're shadowed from them, uh, we are, tend to be drawn towards the object because we're, sh we're shielded from some of these particles trying to push us apart. That doesn't work because uh, collisions involving transfer of energy would have uh, heated us to incandescence and the Earth would be vaporised. But once you uh, construct it like a set of um, magnets, monopole magnets, uh, the whole thing makes sense. And it also points out that uh, the chances of collision are reduced to vanishing point. And this makes sense too. In a sensible universe, you don't want the particles or the planets and so on that you've made and the stars all falling in together to form a big crunch, which the Big Bang implies, of course. Once everything is, uh, gets to a certain point, it'll all fall back inwards. It makes no sense. Um, but Helton Arp, having shown that the Earth is in, uh, sorry, this universe itself seems to be in balance and the galaxies and so on are repelling one another, not pulling one another together. All of this makes for a far more sensible cosmology. If if we're talking about gravity in this sense, I just need a bit of a clarification here. If we're talking yes. about gravity in this sense, which makes us think about it completely differently, how do we explain orbits? How do we explain the Earth orbiting the sun? It, it's because uh, there is a force inwards on the Earth. All of the matter, all of the stars, in the old days they used to talk about the fixed stars. They were the reference point. You had to have a reference point to be able to establish uh, energy, motion. You know, what does motion mean? It, you've got to have some reference point. And Einstein removed that and made everything relative, which immediately stopped us doing physics. Um, so you've got the rest of the universe is pushing inwards, if you like, and the sun is pushing back. It's pushing outwards, and the Earth is being pushed inwards and it's being pushed outwards by the sun. So we find a point of balance where we can go into orbit about the sun. Uh, and uh, So, you know, so if, if, if I understand what you're saying correctly, it's not the mm -hmm. centrifugal force, it's not inertia that's keeping the Earth from uh, colliding with the sun, being drawn into the sun, which is what we would expect under traditional gravity theory. It's, in fact, the sun is repelling the Earth, and it's the other forces that are trying to push the Earth inward that keep it in an orbit. Keep it in balance, yes. In I fact, see. all of this kind of thing was worked out by a famous uh, German physicist, one of the top physicists of the uh, 19th century, uh, Wilhelm Weber. But he, he wrote his work in German, and it's only been uh, translated into English uh, recently. And uh, I was amazed when it was pointed out to me that he had actually determined all of this uh, this idea of stable orbits between charged particles or, if you like, planets and stars too, because this would apply to them equally, uh, based on purely on electrodynamic theory, as it's called. 
which is a generalization of the electrostatic law. Now, everyone in high school is taught about electrostatics and gravity, and they both have the same form. You know, one multiplies the two charges together and divides by the square of the distance apart, and gravity uh, multiplies two masses together and divides by the square of the distance apart. They're the, they're the same because it's the same type of force that's acting in both cases. But one of the very important issues there is, and this has relevance to uh, waste of money in science today, and that is that neither the electrostatic law nor the gravity law has time as a, a variable. So in other words, the forces are instantaneous. And this helps explain quantum theory. You know, well, what's his name? Um, uh, Richard Feynman has famously said, no one understands quantum theory. And it's because Einstein introduced the speed limit, which doesn't apply in Weber's work. So, you know, uh, we've had all of these stumbling blocks put in the way of real understanding of the universe. So what you just said there, we have to go to break here in just a minute, but what you just said there was the speed of light is not mm. the fastest uh, speed uh, that can exist in physics. It's the fastest in the uh, ether, so to speak, which is something else that Einstein got rid of which Maxwell needed for electromagnetic theory, but uh, it's not a limit on the transfer of information in the universe. And you're talking about this electric transfer as being instantaneous regardless, regardless of distance. Yes. Well, why is this important to us? What, Other than knowledge, obviously that's important in itself, but is there is, is there something else to this that makes it so important? Yes, I think there is, in fact, um, <clears throat> there are certain technological advantages in understanding the electric universe and they'll probably be crucial to our future. But to me, the major thing for us to learn is a cultural change, and that is to really understand ourselves and our real place in the universe. Because right now, the Big Bang is a kind of hopeless cosmology. Everything was wound up in the beginning and is slowly running down. The, uh, everything's expanding away from each other, so we'll finally end up in darkness. Uh, it's a dismal picture. Also, everything is treated as uh, separate objects, uh, separated by vast distances and uh, vast time spans. All of this, too makes us feel isolated and pointless. Our existence is pointless. The electric universe paints the diametrically opposite picture, and that is that everything is connected by the electric force in real time, so information uh, in the universe is uh, available throughout the universe. So if you learn something, it's available uh, for other sentient beings to uh, tune in, if you like, once we know how. Uh, the other aspect is that we begin to understand that we ourselves are connected in ways that biologists as yet don't understand. All living systems are connected. This is why we have these amazing symbiotic relationships between uh, plants and animals and even between different animals and insects and so on. Without these connections, it makes no sense at all. So this feeling of connectedness, of having a purpose, we come here to learn, and in the process of learning, uh, every you know, the universe learns itself. We look sort of kind of the mirror through which the uh, universe sees itself, I suppose you could say. 
it gives us a sense of purpose. And because we are connected and because we can understand the history of the earth and the human race, which has been at various times, and this is uncovered by the all of the people, Velikovsky began it you know, with his Worlds in Collision book, the idea that uh, humanity has almost been wiped off the earth several times in the past and uh, we still have this kind of instinctive doomsday fear. And this is interesting today, of course, because um, in my uh, all my years, I started off with a nuclear winter fear following the end of the Second World War. Uh, then that was followed in the uh, 80s by a fear of an ice age that was in the newspapers then. That was followed by uh, a, we're going to be impacted by a comet or an asteroid, and so Space Watch was set up. And now we have a fear of man-made global warming. Well, the reason that it's called man-made is because it gives us some sense that we can control nature, which is just absolutely impossible. The first thing we must understand is that the sun is not what we think it is and that uh, we have to come to terms with the fact that uh, change is the only thing that's certain in the universe. So uh, uh, the weird weather patterns and so on can be explained electrically because electricity, just like in all the uh, interesting ads you've been featuring, uh, of course is involved in everything that we do in technology and uh, home appliances in heating, lighting, locomotion and so on, and yet in astronomy you won't find any mention of it doing anything, which is incredible when you consider it. Uh, it's one of the greatest blind spots in science. Uh, so the important thing for us, though, is the cultural change, I think, because until we can understand our past, come to terms with this doomsday fear, which Velikovsky himself, at the end of his life, felt was the most important message he had. He wrote this book called Mankind in Amnesia, and he pointed out that one of the features of this amnesia is that you tend to either uh, recreate the disaster that is only half remembered, either visiting on others, which is our warlike behaviour, which is completely insane, or uh, and or on the environment. And of course, with nuclear weapons, we can destroy the environment as well as ourselves. So we have this kind of... Um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, the entire human race. And he said the only way of uh, dealing with that is to actually understand where it comes from. Um, are we talking about every living thing, Wallace, is actually emitting an electric force in one way or another and it's connecting to every other living thing? Is that the point you were making? Yes, in effect, all matter in the universe is... Uh, connected to all other matter in the electric universe by the direct electric force. Uh, in the case of biological systems and so on, it uh, manifests in terms of uh, resonant behaviour. In fact, it gives uh, a scientific backing to such things as homeopathy, uh, where it seems that water is able to uh, remember uh, the structure of a molecule. Um, the connections, the information is all available through the dipole electric nature of uh, the water molecule. And uh, there's some very good work uh, being done on that uh, by uh, Dr. Jerry Pollack uh, called The Fourth State of Water. And he said to me uh, when I met him in the US a few years ago that uh, 
life is in fact a manifestation of structured water. So uh, all kinds of uh, uh, subjects in science today are considered taboo simply because the current theories don't can't explain them. And it seems before you can propose another idea, you've got to have the complete theory, including the mathematics, to go with it before they even look at it. And even then, you're lucky if they'll even accept it to look at. So um, through all of this process, it's been a case of including scholars from all different subjects in the arts and the sciences. Uh, we have um, uh, garage experimenters doing experiments to test the ideas and having a great deal of success. Uh, so once you open this subject up like this, uh, you realise that uh, science is not necessarily done by large organisations. In fact, it's not done very well once you set up these organisations. It's the individuals that make the breakthroughs and they can still do it working in the backyard garage. When we talk about being connected by an electrical force of some sort, uh, could yes. that possibly explain uh, things that we talk about on this program frequently, like telepathy or other uh, what we would consider to be mystical connections between people? Um, and yes, some, sure. is, I mean, is that a way to explain that? Yeah, sure. We At present, um, I mean... When we did the first experiments on the electric sun model, the uh, proof of concept was done in a uh, laboratory which was right next door to the one they used, which was a shielded Faraday cage uh, to do remote viewing experiments. And I've met the, uh, the people who were doing those experiments and they said that uh, you could put somebody in a shielded room, electrically shielded room, and uh, it had no effect on their ability to do remote viewing. Wow. What about uh, Nikola Tesla? Was he onto this? Mm -hmm. Nikola Tesla, I consider to be the kind of genius that uh, Velikovsky was, and that is a kind of intuitive genius who can almost see in his mind how things work. The problem with uh, referring to his work is that this, there's nothing really... Um, he didn't publish normally, or if he did, I, don't, I haven't seen the, the, uh, those papers... Uh, but certainly he was uh, onto this idea of the direct electric force, the longitudinal one. The difference between the direct electric force and the electromagnetic wave is the difference between uh, pulling on a rope to signal the other end and waving one end. You know, pulling on a rope, the person at the other end feels the, uh, the uh, pull at the speed of sound through the rope, which is very fast. But if you wave the rope, it takes some time for that signal to get to the other end. Well, that's the speed of light in the ether is a disturbance travelling through a medium and uh, just like a waving a rope up and down. The electric force that uh, transfers information uh, which is absolutely nece necessary to establish a coherent workable universe is direct between the actual particles themselves. In fact, we know that gravity, it's easy to demonstrate that gravity operates instantaneously despite what the scientists tell us because the Earth orbits where the sun is, not where it is in the sky, which is eight and a half minutes after the light left the sun, so the sun's moved on. Uh, the gravity operates towards where the sun is now, not where it was eight and a half minutes ago. And it's easy enough to 
uh, test that, and it has been tested by astronomers. Despite that, because of Einstein's uh, speed limit, uh, everyone assumes that gravity travels at the speed of light, and in fact the LIGO detectors, which are supposed to have been detecting gravity waves, cannot have been doing so because they rely on this idea that gravity travels at the speed of light in order to try and determine where these signals are coming from. No, it's just a disturbance in the medium which carries the wave, which is travelling across those detectors, and uh, they don't know what it is they're looking at. You've used a couple of words when you talk about the electric universe versus Big Bang. Yes. Hopeful and hopeless. Yes. Why hopeful and why hopeless? Well, the uh, Big Bang uh, universe is disconnected. Uh, everything is separated by vast spans of time and space. And uh, there is no future because at the end it either all fizzles out or it all starts collapsing back into a big crunch which is not any kind of a useful uh, picture for the human race or any living creature. Uh, the Electric Universe acknowledges that the information in the universe is available throughout in real time so that you begin to understand that life itself and the consciousness that we exhibit, has more to, is, there's more to it than meets the eye and that the entire universe is involved. So we feel part of something amazing, you know, it's a completely uplifting uh, idea, almost a spiritual idea that we are connected in real time to a conscious universe, and we are part of that consciousness. I don't. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to uh, uh, make this um, a religious discussion by any means. But you mentioned the no. word spiritual just there. Is there a spiritual yes. component to this? Oh yes, there's more to life than meets the eye. Uh, biologists have, uh, you know, they don't admit it, but of course it's not just biochemistry because the problem is how do you generate a functioning complex, incredibly complex living creature from a single cell? What are the signals that lay the, down the pattern to say whether you're, you know, a fish or an elephant or, you know, a, a bumblebee? Uh, the information isn't held in the genetic material. Uh, the genetic material is merely a machine shop, you know, which uh, acts under information, as uh, the cellular biologist Bruce Lipton has pointed out in his many interesting videos, which can be seen on Gaia TV, uh, merely responds to signals from outside the cell, from outside the body. And, of course, we know we've all heard about um, this kind of uh, aura they talk about. It seems that the information that is part of you exists beyond the body. The mind is not itself uh, uh, the, the seat of consciousness and memory. It's a part of something even greater. Now, all these considerations of being part of something greater, I think, is a completely different view of ourselves, which is far more alive and uh, uh, has purpose and is capable of doing amazing things. What have you been fortunate enough to get uh, converts, if you will, from the scientific community, or is that still a ways away? No, no, no. It, 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 we've got many uh, scientists who've joined in because um, there are real scientists out there, and not just uh, you know technologists. 
uh, one of the problems is we confuse technology with science, but technology can work with whatever they find happening in a laboratory, even without understanding it. I mean, uh, quantum uh, quantum things are an example of that. No one understands right. quantum theory, and yet it's used in our electronics and uh, transistors and whatnot. Uh, but when you look back, you find out that uh, even the transistor effect was uh, generated before quantum theory. Let's um, let's jump to our listener lines. We have been neglect, neglectful of those. Uh, this is mm-hmm. Jim in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Jim, welcome to the program. Oh, pleasure to be on. Thanks for taking my call. I just had a quick question. Um, is your guest familiar with the work of T. Townsend Brown? And his work with electrogravitics. Well, yeah. yes, I am. Yeah, the problem with electrogravitics. What, what did you think of his work? It's interesting, but uh, it's doing things the hard way, uh, trying to influence. Uh, I think I said earlier. You right? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Are you still yeah. there, Walt? Yes, yeah, I am. I'm still here. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead with that answer again, Wall. We we somehow lost you for a second there. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. Yes, Jim. I'm uh, familiar with uh, Townsend Brown's uh, work. Um, the problem that people who use uh, high voltages and that trying to defeat gravity uh, face is that the nucleus, which is the seat of most of the mass in the object, is shielded from electric forces by the uh, orbiting electrons. The simplest way to uh, create a gravitational effect is to uh, spin something in a circle. And we know that, uh, you know, uh, the astronauts are subjected to multiple G-forces by just uh, spinning them in a centrifuge. Uh, The same thing for uh, chemical separation. They use a centrifuge and it magnifies the, uh, the gravitational force on the matter inside that centrifuge any number of times you like. And a gyro is another example, too, where you spin something at very high speed. And uh, I was talking about the model of gravity before. What happens is that the periphery of that spinning gyro is actually attracted to all the matter in the rest of the universe and so locks onto it. And this is why you can use them for inertial navigation. Uh, all, all of the mechanical and momentum and physics explanations so far have failed to understand the force of gravity and uh, also its origin in the matter that actually exhibits the force, uh, which, you know, to get back to gravi- to real physics, it'll be much simpler for people to understand and it'll open it up to the general public to get involved again instead of thinking they have to stand in front of a blackboard of mathematics to, to prove that they're a genius. Jim, thank you for that great question. Did you have, did you have a follow-up there? Uh, I just wanted to say that Dr. LaViolette, was on uh, a radio show, and he presented the work of T. Thompson Brown, and he he agreed with a lot of your theory. Well, the way you feel about uh, electricity, and he he seemed to echo yes. that uh, physics was a religion. Yes, yes, uh, I know Paul Violet. I met him some years ago. <clears throat> uh, there's a lot of people singing, you know, the same kinds of tunes, but uh, no one has put it together into the huge. Uh, picture that I've managed simply because I involve uh, the whole of humanity's uh, recollections of the ancient sky, what they told us about what the planets did, how all of this could have worked, and it paints a picture which is absolutely incredible. 
in fact, you begin to realize that we're the aliens in this solar system. Jim, thank you so much for the call and that great question. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, um, Wall, here. I, what's mm-hmm. the future hold for us? If we start to understand this and we start to be able to grasp it and apply it, uh, what does that mean for our future? It means that we will know how to produce energy like the sun for the first time. Uh, we will be able to generate uh, elements. We may be able to remediate nuclear waste and reduce the um, decay time by orders of magnitude, which uh, will solve one of the big problems facing uh, humans at present with the uh, current fission reactors. Uh, so, but the, once again, I think the cultural shift will be enormous because it will break down barriers. Uh, all of the petty nationalism, them against us, uh, religious judgment and so on, all of this kind of stuff goes out the window when you realise our amazing history and our connectedness to each other. What's the first step? Obviously, um, you've got a couple of books. We've been talking primarily about the Electric Universe. That's one of the two books we've mentioned yes. tonight. Is that the first step for somebody who wants to learn more about this? I think uh, Thunderbolts of the Gods, because that paints the real history or begins to paint the real history of uh, humanity. And that's important to understand before you worry about the technology. My first book, The Electric Universe, uh, only dealt with the immediate electrical nature of the cosmos. I'm in the business now of writing a, a definitive work which covers all of the subjects I've talked about tonight. Uh, including uh, the real nature of gravity. But for those who want to get a preview, our YouTube channel on the thunderbolts.info website has the uh, presentation I gave, I think it was in 2017, called The Long Path to Understanding Gravity. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, You were able to take a very complex topic and uh, present it in a way that I think most people can understand it and actually opened up uh, many, many eyes, including mine. But I appreciate your time, and thanks for being here tonight. Thanks, JV. Thanks for the opportunity. Don't forget, Scaricon coming up very, very soon. I know, uh, Orion, you're going to be there. Slick coming? Uh, I don't know. I, he He's on the fence. I can never get him to do anything, actually. I, I don't know. I mean, he works all the time. I know that. but Bit of a shut-in. Yeah, I think he just likes to work. You know, we gotta we gotta applaud that here. Anyway, it's October 18th through the 20th. It's uh, Scaricon at Rochester, uh, New York, the Rochester Riverside Hotel. You can get more information about the celebrity guests that'll be in attendance, plus all the films that'll be shown, plus the panel discussions, the unique vendors, and the parties. It's all at Scaricon.com. You should plan your weekend now. It's going to be a really really good time. Yeah, there'll be some live music there, some karaoke, <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Coming up in the show tomorrow night, we've got another very interesting show for you with, uh, did you coin this Psychic Thursday? Is that, I think is it, was that your work? it was Slick's Slick idea. But... Figures. Well, we have Sheena Metal joining us. She's been on the show before, I believe. Mm-hmm. I know I was on her show at one point. Anyway, Sheena is a psychic and paranormal survivor, and she'll talk about her work blending the psychic and the paranormal, and she will be doing readings for listeners in the second hour of the show. People always enjoy that. We yes. always get a lot of phone calls for that. So you're going to want to get ready to dial and dial often to be able to get through. Of course, Friday is a best of program here on Beyond Reality Radio. And then Monday night, Dr. Heather Lynn, author, historian, and renegade archaeologist, will discuss sinister artifacts, ancient aliens, and other myster- mysteries considered too threatening to the mainstream. What would you think is too threatening to the mainstream? 
Well, uh, you know, it's this idea that we keep running up against where uh, the mainstream establishment doesn't like things that challenge yeah. their uh, Kind of everything we talked about tonight. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Different arena. All right, that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you for being here, everybody. We will see you tomorrow night. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at J.V.J. Paranormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.